Welcome back to The Upsell, a podcast from Eater, the nation's leading authority on food and drink and restaurant culture, coming to you live from the Vox Media Studios because we are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm sitting here with Amanda Clute, who is the editor-in-chief of Eater.com. Hi, Amanda Clute. Hi, Dan. We, pu- we published a piece recently called Going Viral about how restaurants can basically pay to make their food famous on the internet. Mm-hmm. And how important it is for your dishes and your food to be big on social media channels mm-hmm. these days. Because that is going to drive business. It's funny, I was when this came out, my husband was reading it on the couch next to me, and he was like, this is one of the most important pieces you guys have ever done. Really? <laughs> because it, it's, it's so broad and talking about all of these secret things that are going on behind the scenes and that affects so much of the food world that I ignore because I think it's beneath me. Mm-hmm. But it's not. I still think it's kind of beneath <laughs> me to care about rainbow <laughs> bagels, but I, I think it's super intriguing well, to learn about it. Yeah, so we're going to find out how food becomes famous online from the social media influencers that post pictures of food to these consulting firms that will actually work with chefs to make their food more social media ready or more ready to go viral. Finally, is this cheating or is this just what marketing looks like in 2018? The reporting for this episode was done by our data visualization reporter, Vince Dixon, and Eater's video team. And we're going to talk to Vince in a sec. But before we do, a couple requests. Please subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you prefer and hit it with a rating, a probably a good rating. And now, Vince Dixon. I've always had it in the back of my mind that whenever things go viral, there's a chance that it was staged by like some of course. organization or company. So I just wanted to see how pervasive that is in the food space. What are some examples of dishes that have gone, quote-unquote, viral that you've seen? And not even through staging, just like some some examples that our audience might know. Uh, recently, a lot of the things that have gone viral are more conceptual, so like a lot of rainbow foods and mm-hmm. mermaid foods and magical things like that. Uh, charcoal foods have been viral. And what we're seeing now is that people are sort of taking these concepts and applying it to whatever dish they have mm-hmm. instead of coming up with something that's like completely original, like a cronut or a rainbow bagel. So how did you define virality? Like what is, how do you classify something as viral? So the research showed that there is no official definition. So right. it's kind of a, once you see it, you know what it is, but generally it refers to something that is really popular and has gone really popular uh, really quickly. Uh, it started off as being viral referred to something that sort of diffused amongst networks, and now it more so refers to the speed of things diffusing through networks. Give us an example in, in terms of a food item. Okay, so a good example of something uh, diffusing through networks, like traditionally, yeah. um, would be the... Cronut or the Rainbow Bagel, how that sort of started off in New York and then it kind of like spread and sort of grew and grew. And then uh, more recently, we see more things going viral like overnight. So Starbucks would come out with uh, their unicorn frappuccino and that, because Starbucks is such a huge name, it will go viral overnight. And that's, it's more so of the speed rather than the, the method, I guess. 
So Vince's piece focuses on going viral intentionally and the services restaurants can pay to help them package their food for social media. But to get a sense of what they're all after, virality or online buzz, and more importantly, how it affects the bottom line, Eater's video team went to talk with Edgar Volongo, chef and owner of Raclette NYC. Insider made a video of Raclette's giant cheese wheels that are cut in half, heated, and then scraped onto various dishes. It's an old dish that's popular in Switzerland, but Raclette NYC's version has now been seen by almost 100 million people and completely changed their business. When the viral video hit, I believe it was April 13th, which was a Wednesday, and Wednesdays were our, you know, our least busy days, and so in the morning, I did my usual routine. I went shopping, I started prepping, got into the store at about seven o'clock in the morning, and um, the phone rang, and it was someone who wanted to make a reservation for that evening. So I took the reservation down and hung up. Five minutes later, the phone rang again. This kept repeating. You know, right away, I knew something was up, because as soon as I opened the doors, the place was full. I had to call everyone in. You know, I had two other hoppers come in with me and I found out what happened is that we went viral. It was from the expectation of maybe selling about a couple hundred dollars worth of sandwiches a day and then going home and, and having a normal day to absolutely transforming our business overnight. By the end of that day, we had grossed our highest uh, sales figure ever um, for that small restaurant that we used to be in. I secured a second kitchen the day after the video. We had quadrupled our workforce overnight. Uh, and three months after that, we had gotten a larger location, which is where we are today. This is an example of going viral organically. The dish was just so fun and visual that it caught on without outside assistance. But to understand how to game the system, the first step is understanding networks and influencers. So one of the key or central ideas behind going viral is this idea of networks. Um, and a network is pretty much a relationship. And in a typical network, you have different types of relationships. You have like a one-to-one -one relationship. Um, in the article, we use Kim Kardashian as an example. So Kim Kardashian and her husband, that's a Kanye West, that's a one-to-one -one relationship. And then you have one-to-many relationships like Kim Kardashian to her sisters. And then you can have one-to-many, many, many relationships, and that's like Kim Kar Kardashian to her fans. Um, and then that, when you have that type of relationship, that's considered being an influencer because you have a direct access to dozens or hundreds or thousands or maybe millions of people. Right. But isn't there an argument that if you're someone who's much smaller than Kim Kardashian, you, you're actually a stronger influencer to your group of people because you have fewer people but they care more about you? Numbers is part of it, and then but also the reaction that or the influence that you have over your followers hmm. right like are they actually going to do what you say right and that is an important thing for people who want to go viral to understand is that you wouldn't ask kim kardashian to maybe like push a cheeseburger on her twitter feed but like if it's makeup or something that her followers are into or follow mm -hmm. her for then you might have a, a better chance of it taking off so part of being an influencer is having a bunch of followers, but then also sort of a, a theme or some sort of like influence that you have over them. That Something you're an for. authority on? Yeah, pretty much. That's where food Instagram influencers come in. 
On the surface, they have a very simple relationship with their followers. Their followers want to know what the cool kids are eating and the influencers share it with them. So I got into starting my Instagram account while I was actually in law school. This is Netta. She runs one of LA's biggest accounts, Los Angeles Eats. Our producer writer, Ellie Kern, spent a day with Netta, shadowing her as she went around to different restaurants. This was about like four years ago. Everyone had like some kind of Instagram they were starting up. And I'm like, that's so awesome that people are starting pages about things that they're passionate about. And I was always a foodie. And I realized that there weren't really that many pages in LA that were um, giving recommendations for where to go eat. So I saw a need for that and I decided, okay, well, I'm like, what would I follow? And I created a page that I would want to follow myself. So that's how Los Angeles Eats kind of started. Something about what I was doing was really appealing to people and I started gaining followers and been gaining ever since. So I had zero history in the food business. I went to business school and then to law school and really knew nothing about food. The only thing I knew was that I like to eat it and that's about it. Let's say we have a restaurant in New York City and we want to go viral. Like, how, how does that work? First, you have to have something that's inherently good. So one of the important things is that it, it should be good because even if a lot of people hear about it, if it's not good, they're not going to share it. So it, it won't Well, at least that's off. a relief. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, A lot of this conversation is depressing. At least it's good to know that if your product sucks, people will still not eat it yeah because if you imagine it traveling through like a network it'll like hit a dead end if someone once people taste it it. (laughs) oh right yeah cool okay so let's say we've got a product that we think is good tell us about the firms that we can pay to make it famous so a lot of these agencies are sort of run by millennials like really young people who are really good at social media and the way that they work is they sort of serve as a viral marketing agency, but also a social media agency. So traditionally, restaurants would hire like a PR company to help them get in good with newspaper reporters. Mm -hmm. Um, And quick, wait, so and that traditionally is, if we own a restaurant, we hire a PR company, and the PR company has good relationships with people like Eater, and they say, hey, our client is doing this, or hey, uh, our chef is nominated for this award, Mm -hmm. and then we write about them. And so it's the the, uh, the the purpose of that is to get them maybe in the press. Maybe we'd write about them, yeah, yeah. Maybe, sorry, maybe we'd write about them. <laughs> yeah, and that maybe is really important because the issue is that smaller, uh, lesser-known restaurants have a harder time getting noticed by like, people like Eater or the New York Times. Uh, but now, because of social media, you can uh, reach your customers directly. You don't have to hire the PR company. But one thing that I learned during this piece was that a lot of restaurant owners don't know how to use social media. They're like older and they just don't have those skills. So they turn to these influencers and these influencers tell them, I can help you with your social media accounts and I can also help you uh, pretty much go viral because of it. Front of House is a digital marketing company. We found this sort of niche recently in understanding how food items go viral. This is Dylan Burke. He runs Front of House, an agency that helps restaurants with all aspects of their online presence. 
and understanding sort of what that means, whether it's teaming up with the larger Facebook video uh, you know, players, or it's using a number of influencers throughout the city to strategically launch a pastry or something like that. Um, you know, and we've done very well uh, with that. Um, but I'd say our bread and butter and our core services are really social management. So taking over and speaking, creating, sort of embracing, sometimes creating the, uh, you know, the voice for a brand. Apparently the influencer community is very like small and well-connected. So these marketing agencies would just call up some of their uh, influencer friends and invite them to a um, tasting or opening similar to how PR companies work, except instead of just inviting journalists, you're inviting like influencers from Instagram. And, and they're guaranteed pretty much to post about the dish. I wouldn't say guaranteed, but it's sort of you're kind of, they have this relationship where almost like tit for tap. Yeah. So I think it's expected. So sometimes restaurants um, want a specific item to go viral, so they'll kind of throw these media events and they'll invite all the different influencers who live in the area to come out and take pictures of that certain item. And so what ends up happening is like, literally all the influencers will be at that restaurant, they'll shoot the same picture, everyone's posting about it, and it really helps that, that item go viral. Because if it's constantly inundated on social media, and you keep seeing this one item pop up over and over and over again, eventually you're like, wait, what is this? And why is everyone posting about it? And it kind of creates that curiosity around the item, which makes you look it up. And then once you look it up, then you know where to get it from. And then next time you drive past that restaurant, you're like, oh, that's that restaurant that I, that I saw on Instagram, or I keep seeing pop up on Instagram. And it ends up really creating like a buzz around that food item. And it really helps with sales and making people want to go get it. I think in the early aughts, this was kind of the same thing with bloggers as there would be PR agencies would have these friends and family or like press, quote unquote, press dinners that no real journalist would go to. But bloggers would go and they would like put the photos up and write a little review it's just now it's uh it's just all on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's but like there's the still this kind of transactional situation happening. And now these a lot of these influencers you said in your piece get paid money. It's not just oh have this free dinner and please post a picture of the steak, pretty please. It's like oh here's the two thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Post the picture of the steak. Mm -hmm. Some of them not so much for the marketing, the ones who work for the marketing agencies, but then there are influencers who work on their own. And those are the ones who can sometimes receive money for coming in. So they'll contact the, the restaurant owner or the restaurant owner will contact them and say, oh, hey, if you come in and taste this, then uh, we'll either give you the dinner for free or the influencer can actually charge. And they can make anywhere from like $50 to like $1,500 a, a tasting. So. Just like per photo. Yeah, per post. 
initially companies would come to us a few weeks after they opened and they say, wow, we really need help with social. What we're doing isn't working. My cousin can't do it. You know, everyone thinks they like know someone who knows how to do social. You don't. Dylan Burke again of Front of House. It's really a full-time job and it's becoming clear to restaurants that your manager can't run it anymore, right? Or that your hotel, you can't hand it to the intern and then the intern leaves and the account sit dormant for three months, right? So people are coming to us earlier and earlier and what that allows us to do is be more strategic with how we're building their voice. How did you find the agency that you profiled in the piece? It's called Front of House, run by the son of notable chef David Burke. Uh-huh. He doesn't. He mentions his father. He doesn't. Well, and it's it. funny because the the son runs the agency, but the father was known for yeah. gimmicky dishes and whimsical, his, whimsical, things, whimsical yeah. dishes where you like inject a donut with jam with a syringe and like that kind of stuff. Front of House. Is one of the more visible agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's new. It just opened like 2016. Um, and so there's been like a little bit of coverage on them. And the other agencies that we found, I interviewed them as influencers. I wanted to know how it was like to be an influencer. And then they said, oh, well, by the way, I also, um, when I'm not influencing, I'm also marketing and Helping people go viral. When so. I'm not influencing. Mm. <laughs> what would Dylan Burke do for us? Like, how involved would he get in our restaurant? So they do recipe development, so they can come in. Like The, the consulting firm does recipe development, but they're not chefs, right? Right. They're not chefs, uh, but they will come in and speak with the chef, the head chef, and discuss, so what do you have on the, the menu? What do you have coming up? What do you want to do? And then they'll help tweak the the ideas that the chefs have. Um, so they'll work with you to take whatever idea you have and make it more uh, appealing for Instagram. Um, and then once they do that, as you develop the, the uh, product, they'll come in and tweak it. Uh, they'll photograph it. So Dylan Berg is actually a food photographer as well. Uh, so he'll photograph it in a, in a way that's Caducive for going viral on Instagram. And then after that, they will help you market it by tapping into their network of influencers and having them come in and taste it. And hopefully they will spread it out through their networks. It's a whole thing. There's an agency sort of behind some of these things pulling strings. And we're not doing it because we're trying to dupe you, right? We're not doing it because we like, it's just marketing. And it's just, it's another item that can be sold. So of course you want to market it in an interesting way. You don't look at the cheese, the gluttonous cheeseburger picture and think like, man, there's a, there's a career there, right? You think like, what the hell? Like, you don't even think about anything. Your brain actually just goes, just goes blank because all you're doing is drooling and like zooming and sharing and sending and all these things. And it, you know, it, we're almost hidden behind how delicious things look, uh, which I think might be a good way to like classify, you know, our agency. We're not trying to hide. You know, like things like this, I'm happy to talk to them blue in the face about what we do, you know, how we do it and withhold some stuff. But like, we're not hiding anywhere. I I don't feel like we're we're scamming anybody. We're just, we're just being, you know, orchestrated with the things that we do. So, so, uh, you talk to a couple restaurants that use front of house and use various agencies and do they consider it cheating? Like, what do they, what do they see it as or just marketing? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's this debate on is this cheating or or not, and the restaurants don't believe so. So the restaurants just see this as another 
form of marketing. Yeah. Um, so we live in this digital age and they need a social media presence and a lot of them aren't good at doing social media. So they reach out to these people to help them with social media. And the idea is that, oh, we're not hiring you specifically to go viral. We're just hiring you to help us do well on social media. And if we happen to go viral, then thanks a lot. <laughs> and so, so it's like a new form of marketing. And that's how they rationalize this is that this is how things are done. And if you are any restaurant in this industry, especially a market like New York or L.A. or Chicago, then you have to do whatever you can to do well on Instagram and Twitter. And if it means hiring someone who's going to help you go viral while doing it, then that's what you have to do. One what's at least kind of comforting is these days you have to mark something as sponsored if you're getting paid to promote it. So if these people are following the rules, the influencers, when they get paid a lot of money to talk about a dish, they're going to say that they got paid. Mm-hmm. I think the question is if that's actually happening or not. The government is trying to crack down on influencer marketing, especially when it's unlabeled, but not everyone does it. So the people right. that I spoke with said that they do it, like they make sure that they label all of their sponsored posts as sponsored posts. Um, but they have pointed out that not everyone does it, and they've seen people who who are clearly posting paid advertisements pretty much and aren't labeling it as such. Um, and they kind of get away with it. Mm. So That's a weird government bureau, the, the government agency that's combing through Instagram. <laughs> well, they're just trying to set, especially now when it is such a big yeah. marketing and advertising platform, like they should be regulating that. We'll be right back with more viral content after this message from Freshly. We all live busy lives, and unfortunately, there aren't enough hours in the day to get everything done. Freshly is the easiest and most convenient way to eat healthy, no matter what life throws your way. Freshly's team of chefs creates all-natural, gluten-free dinners and delivers them fresh to your door. So even if you get stuck at work late, you can still come home to a delicious dinner cooked by a chef. No more worrying about having to figure out what's for dinner and especially no mess to clean up after. Customize your weekly meals from Freshly's constantly changing menu of more than 30 chef-crafted options. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Check out this week's menu created by Freshly Chefs and get $25 off your first order of six chef-cooked dinners, plus free shipping by going to freshly.com slash upsell. You'll feel so relieved to come home to a chef-cooked meal every night with Freshly. That's freshly.com slash upsell for $25 off your first order. What are your opinions about this when you see all this food all over the place? How has your opinion changed after the reporting versus before the reporting? Yeah, I think going in, I thought this was kind of like a shady practice and that I kind of wanted to learn more about it. But then speaking with some of the agencies and the restaurants involved and the way that they explained it as like marketing, I kind of see it. I kind of understand that, that this is what restaurants have to do. Um, I think the viral side of it is sort of a benefit to doing well on social media. So that's kind of how I look at it. Is this is just like marketing? Like and philosophically, it's just marketing, like any other marketing. I don't think. I think if your goal, if your goal is 
going viral and you're allowing someone to adjust the product to be in a better place to go viral, then you are compromising right, the integrity the, of your creative they're vision. They're engineering it. I think right. it depends on what they're re-engineering. But I think once you're in that, once you're already in those waters, it's already kind of murky. So what does the future look like? What do you, how do you think this is going to evolve? What do you think that viral foods are going to look like going forward? And how is the way they're marketed going to change? I think that this type of marketing and investment from restaurants is going to become the norm. But I think thanks to like articles like this, people will be more aware and they won't be as, I guess, duped. So once they see something on Instagram, they'll know like, oh, this looks nice, but there's a reason for that. Right. Like what went into this? Who was paid to get it to me? Right. And is this actually worth my time? What do you think about the counter movement, the potential backlash that you see in like Dave Chang's ugly, delicious hashtag and, and things like that? Like I noticed, I think it was Sever ran a piece by Anthony Bourdain also titled Ugly Delicious, focused on how uh, Italian food can be ugly. I think it's easy for certain people in the industry to do that <laughs> and get away with it. Only Bourdain and Chang <laughs> yeah, exactly. can be like, ugly food, we love it. Yeah. But, like, these poor people you're talking to are just desperate to have someone eat their melted cheese. Yeah, this is their, like, if social media didn't exist, no one would have known who a lot of these people are or what they sold. So this is a chance for the normal person to to get recognized. Because back in the day, you had to be a David Chang to get a New York Times review or something like that. So Right, this goes back to the democratization of the whole industry because mm -hmm. of these platforms. Yeah. So now I don't think it's going to go anywhere or that the backlash is going to have much of an effect because this is what mom and pop shops right. need to. Right. To yeah. Grow. It's like the, the social media has democratized who gets attention and who gets written about, but then it can be used for evil if you're manipulating those platforms. Yeah, I think that's the distinction, too, is that there are definitely people who are going to make this shady, and then there are going to be people who are just going to use it normally right. and honestly. Yeah, and I don't think people like us should always be the gatekeepers for who gets attention, but also somebody needs to be paying attention to what's going <laughs> yeah. on. We can't say that it's unfair for a restaurant to start using this Dark these dark arts, dark arts shall we mm -hmm. call them when they're failing because the restaurant next door to them is using them mm -hmm. uh, but it's important for us to watch out it's an out. arms race of yeah. confetti foods and charcoal ice cream and fish shaped everything Amanda are you more or less cynical about if, if the two of us are walking down the street mm -hmm. and we see something that we would normally raise our eyebrows at be like this is stupid this muffin explodes uh, how do you feel about it now? I'm more cynical now. I found this article <laughs> incredibly depressing. Like it, I had assumed a lot of these things were happening, but watching it and like watching the video specifically of Dylan Burke made me super depressed. Yeah. Sorry, Dylan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, about you, what about you, Dan? I hate the taste of a lot of these foods, and I know that I know that they that being good is a part of it and part of uh, carrying through the network. But I think the second you the second you alter the what you are making uh, to position it better for physical appeal and uh, like interactive appeal, there's no way that you're not compromising the, the quality of it. 
So screw that. Uh, But I'm super fascinated, like Vince. I think the arms race is super cool. It is interesting to watch. So I'm into Dylan Burke. Go, go, (laughs) go him. Go Dylan. Uh, Anything else that you want to add? I think just be prepared because. If you think it's annoying now, then just wait a couple <laughs> okay. of years. Oh, no. <laughs> Can I ask a final question? We talked a little bit about this in a Trends episode about how more high-end restaurants are also doing performative elements for Instagram. Do you think we're just going to see a lot more of that? Like table-side presentations, colorful whatever, drinks that like do things. Possibly, but I do think if there is going to be a backlash, it'll come from, from, from that. the high end. Yeah, yeah. from the top. Where they'll be going back to that um, no no phones, no photos mm. rules yeah. that was the backlash to bloggers in the first place. Well, Vince Dixon, thank you so much for coming thank you. on and, and scaring us. Everyone go check out the article. It's called Going Viral. Thanks so much for listening to The Eater Upsell. If you like this episode, we would be so thankful if you would help it go viral <laughs> and uh, hit up can podcasts go viral? Can podcasts go viral? I don't know. Let's find out with this yeah, episode. Let's, let's, <laughs> this is our own little social experiment All here. All micro-influencers, please share. Mm-hmm. Rate it up, Apple Podcast or the platform of your choice, and maybe pass it off to a friend. This episode would not have been possible without all of the reporting from Vince Dixon and all of the hard work from Eater's video team. With special thanks to Ellie Kern, producer-writer, Ian Stroud, who shot and edited, and Clifford Endo, our head of development. The Upsell receives a ton of support from our studio team, Miles Ewell, Carrie Clements, Paige Bethman, Alex Allreich, and Pedro Elvira. And the executive producer of the whole thing is Maureen Giannone Fitzgerald. Thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you next week.